From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A pediatrician and researcher at Penn State who graduated from Upstate Medical University has some interesting research showing that rates of diagnosis of neurodevelopmental delay were higher in a region that conducted airborne pesticide spraying to kill mosquitoes. Dr. Stephen Hicks is talking with us today by telephone to tell us more about his work. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. Oh, thank you for having me. So this was research you uh, got started in um, during your time at Upstate, is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, in my final year of pediatric residency, uh, I got the idea uh, to do this study based off of uh, some published work that came out of California looking at um, possible connections between pesticide use and rates of autism. Okay. Now, the paper that I saw, um, it describes an area near our regional medical center that employs yearly aerial pyrethroid pesticide applications to combat mosquito-borne encephalitis? That's we, correct. We're talking about the Cicero Swamp? Yes. Okay. Yep. And, and it's not just encephalitis, but other mosquito-borne diseases as well, right? Sure. The pesticide targets uh, mosquito populations that carry a variety of diseases, but the real concern are the ones that cause uh, brain-damaging infections, things like West Nile and Eastern Equine Encephalitis. Okay. So tell me how the study was done. So the study, I think probably uh, first just to give some background about how it came about, um, the study that came out of uh, California in 2015 uh, showed a link between a particular type of pesticide called pyrethroids and rates of autism in that region. And as I was reading the study, um, I realized that the same type of pesticide was used in the Syracuse area over the Cicero Swamp to uh, combat mosquito-borne infections. So I thought we had a unique opportunity to potentially either corroborate and provide some evidence bolstering the claims from that study or even maybe refute uh, what they had found. Um, So we looked in the regions that were within a two-mile radius of the aerial spraying that's done in the Cicero Swamp. And that distance was uh, chosen specifically because the authors in the California study had shown that to be the kind of critical distance that you needed to live within uh, pesticide exposure. And then we picked a control area on the other side of the greater Syracuse region that had similar socioeconomic and demographic variables to the people that lived there, similar distance to the medical center. And we looked at rates of developmental delay diagnoses among the children that lived in the area without uh, the aerial exposure to pesticides and in the area that did have aerial exposures to pesticides. Interesting. So, um, and what what years were you looking at? So the study included um, sort of a five-year range from 2010 to 2015. Okay, so very current. Yeah. So what, um, um, what were your findings? Well, among, there's about 20,000 children living in the region where the pesticides are applied via airplane, um, and about 40,000 children living in the area without the pesticide application. And the rates of autism were about 1.3 times higher in the area that was receiving aerial pesticide application. So to, to put that in sort of more interpretable numbers, 
if there was a thousand kids in the area that had aerial pesticide exposure, 19 of them had autism. And if there are a thousand kids in the area without the exposure, 15 had autism or developmental delay. Oh, okay. So it's not a groundbreaking difference. It's a statistically significant difference, but... But it doesn't sound as alarming when you put it in those numbers. Exactly, yeah. So, and, and that makes sense. We know that autism and developmental delay are largely controlled by genetic factors. We know that from studies of twins. So if you take two identical twins and one has autism, the other has over a 90% chance of having autism. And that's because they share the same genes. But in some cases, so in 10% of those identical twins, they don't both have autism. So there is a role for environmental factors there. I think what you're likely seeing in cases of autism and developmental delay are children who are set up or at risk for it because of their underlying genetics and something in their, um, either in the womb or after delivery in their environment um, sort of is that extra push uh, alongside their genetic basis that drives them to have a developmental delay. But the genetic basis in your population would be similar in the two areas that you compared, right? Theoretically, yeah. We don't have, we didn't do genetic studies on any of these children. They're all actually de-identified, so we don't know any of their names or medical record numbers. It's basically just a a population-based study. And and do you know if you captured all of the, the kids that were diagnosed? So that's another limitation to this study. So it relies on um, a child having come to the SUNY Upstate Medical University for care, uh, so and then having a diagnosis in their medical record. Oh. So the that approach is, has some strengths to it. So one is that if the diagnosis is there, we can be fairly confident that it's an accurate diagnosis because it's entered by a physician or a clinician. Um, the other way to do this type of study would be to call people on the phone. Then you're relying on um, parental or teacher uh, report or caregiver report of developmental status. So you'd get a you'd catch more people with that second approach, but the accuracy of the diagnosis might not be quite mm-hmm. as high. okay. All right, and then um, you looked at obviously the pesticide spraying, but could there be other? differences, environmental differences in these two regions? Could there be something else to blame for this? or, or Yeah, not? absolutely. Um, so we used lots of fancy statistical methods to try and control for all the other factors that are implicated in rates of autism and developmental delay diagnosis, things like poverty rates, uh, population density, uh, race and sex, uh, prematurity rates, birth rates, um, all those things we did our best to control for. But at the end of the day, there's a multitude of factors that contribute to a child's environment, right? And so probably the most um, easily identifiable one here is mosquitoes. So we can't be sure in sort of a chicken or egg type scenario whether it's the pesticide exposure that's bumping up the risk of developmental delay slightly, or is it the mosquito exposure? Because we know that things like Zika virus, right, which has emerged in the last two years or so, does cause developmental delays and problems with brain development. No one has studied this yet with West Nile virus. There's 
no West Nile virus, if it causes encephalitis, is devastating to a child's brain. But there can be subclinical infections. So an infection with West Nile virus may not always cause encephalitis. It might cause just fatigue and a low-grade fever um, and perhaps some other low-grade symptoms, but we don't know if that leads to developmental delay here. Well, interesting. I've got some more questions, but this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Stephen Hicks, a pediatrician and researcher at Penn State who graduated from Upstate Medical University. He has some exciting research showing that neurodevelopmental delay diagnosis rates or autism diagnosis rates were higher in a region with aerial pesticide application. So you found some statistically significant um, differences are they enough for people to act on? In other words, is there a reason for people to be concerned? No, and I definitely want to stress that um, here. I, I think these results are certainly not large enough um, or significant enough that people need to uh, pull up stakes and move out of the area uh, or that we need to, as a community, be abandoning pesticide use practices. They're important for... Um, preventing these really devastating encephalitis uh, illnesses that mosquitoes carry. So I want to make that really clear. Because your, your work does not say that pesticides cause autism. No, it is right. not a causative study. Okay. Uh, all it shows is a potential relationship between an area where pesticides are used in a different sort of way and slightly higher rates of developmental delay diagnoses. But I what I think the, the study does sort of, why it's important, is this makes physiologic sense, right? These chemicals are designed to attack the nervous system in mosquitoes. So we need to be thinking about, as scientists, is it possible that they could be affecting the developing nervous system of our children? And this needs to be continued to look, be looked at and studied. Um, it should be looked at in animal models so we can actually test and see if this is causing uh, problems with brain development. Uh, we need to bring in these uh, children who live in these areas perhaps and have developmental delay and look to see if they're bioaccumulating these types of pesticides um, within their bodies. That would be one thing to look at. Um, probably the easiest and most simple place to start is the public health department recommends that people stay indoors for up to an hour following these sprayings each summer. They request that people close outdoor vents of window unit air conditioners, remove outdoor children's toys, cover gardens. And to my knowledge, I don't know if any of these people have looked at whether these requests um, or recommendations are being studied or not. So that would be a good place to start. Certainly. Or if, if families are actually following those guidelines. Right. Yeah. So I think... The guidelines are out there. Whether or not they're getting to people and people are following them, uh, we should we should just start there probably and make sure that that's the case. Well, are there potentially um, safer or more effective methods of mosquito control? Um, well, after the Zika outbreak in the last uh, two years, there's been a, a big push for alternative methods of mosquito control. One of them that I'm aware of is um, to introduce a strain of mosquitoes that would basically outbreed the type that carry Zika virus. I, I don't know if uh, those genetically modified mosquitoes are also able to 
outbreed and um, compete with the type in the area that cause West Nile virus and Eastern equine encephalitis. Um, and certainly introducing genetically modified mosquitoes has its own set of issues. Sure. But um, that's potentially an, one way that you could sort of combat this problem without using pesticides. But I, I think we're a long way from, from that as a potential injunction. So for now, probably following the public health department's recommendations and doing our best to minimize exposure to the pesticides is probably our best bet. So that's, um, yeah, for now, that's what families need to do. Um, make sure that they stay indoors and, and follow the guidelines when the spraying does take place. Right. Okay. Well, I thank you for your uh, going over this study with us. I appreciate it. My guest has been Dr. Stephen Hicks. He's an Upstate alum who is a pediatrician and a researcher at Penn State. I'm Amber Smith for the podcast and talk show produced by Upstate, HealthLink on Air.